Welcome back to this week's OIS podcast. Today, our host, Dr. Isan Sadri, speaks with Lens Therapeutic CEO, Eve Skimmelpenik, about the latest developments in its pipeline and the exciting developments in the presbyopia market. Take it away, Dr. Sadri. Hi, everybody. This is Isan Sadri. I'm a board-certified ophthalmologist, practicing ophthalmologist, and co-founder of Visionary Venture Fund here in Newport Beach, California. Delighted to bring our next guest, Mr. Yves Schopenick, who's a Dutch Netherlands friend of ours who's joining us. Not far from me, San Diego. He's got a really just amazing background, relatively newer to ophthalmology, but you know, I, I, with, I don't want to steal his thunder. I'm just absolutely delighted to have him on our OIS podcast. How are you doing, Yves? Doing very well. Thank you, Sean. Thank you for the very kind introduction and invitation to uh, to join you on your podcast. Yeah, we're excited. You know, the renaissance of ophthalmology is continuing and we're super excited about the work you're doing and the space. And, you know, I see patients every day and it's just really nice to be able to have offering options to all sorts of patients. And you being so close, um, I have to invite you to come out to Newport. Um, Absolutely. Have a drink or talk. Yeah, hopefully, oh, yeah. hopefully soon. Open invitation. So, you know, so if you know, we, for these OIS podcasts, some people may not know you. So, really, want to talk about the, your background a little bit, as far as you know, your career and your background. You know, growing up in Netherlands, and you know, most recently, twelve years ago, emigrated to the United States with a family. So, tell us about yourself a little bit. Yeah, and I'll I'll try to keep it brief. But uh, like you said, Dutch. National, still am, but studied partly in Australia. So that's when my international ventures started, worked across the globe. You know, if we pick it up, I'm a, I'm a bioprocess engineer by background, so real biotech guy. Always worked in, in pharma, pharma biotech. Led the injectable business for Hospira out of, I was actually, we were actually living in England at that time. So that was Eastern Europe, Europe itself, and North, North Africa. Then moved to, that was what brought us to the US to lead that business globally. So we ended up uh, being in Chicago with the acquisition of Hospira by Pfizer. I was asked to lead the integration of Hospira into Pfizer for the injectable business. So I did that. It was a great experience, which led to my first CEO job, which was leading a, uh, a biotech company called Alvatech. Uh, that was about 300 people or so when I came in. They just actually got their valuation set at about $2.7 billion or so. Um, from there, I went to Phoenix, which brought us to San Diego. Biotech Oncology, osteoporosis company. Turned them around uh, in about three or four years. That was our first publicly listed company. Wasn't looking to sell that, but we got the knock on the door by like a little bit over a year ago now. We sold that business for a little bit over half a billion. So that was the background. That's what led me to uh, then join Lens, what we now have renamed to Lens Therapeutics earlier in the year. I was looking for a venture-backed asset that I could, you know, from ground zero pretty much build a company around rather than coming in and, and, and turning something around for the first two years. I figured let's just skip those first two years and come in to something that I feel is a very promising asset. Uh, we can really build a what we feel best in class company around. Tremendous. It's a tremendous background. Congratulations on all the success you've had. You know, as you know, ophthalmology is a, what I call big but small space. Everybody kind of knows everybody and has this sort of um, way to keep you from moving out of the, out of the field. It's, it's, a, it's a very family-oriented business, I say. No matter what happens, a lot of my friends, they go and they're like, you know what, there's nothing like eyes. And they usually start coming back 
those are the relationships I think mostly. So it's exciting, you know, for us as off, as us practicing ophthalmologists is just nice to have therapeutic options. And I'm really excited about the space here because I think it's massive, very underserved, obviously. Tell us about your unique approach. I know you just renamed the company. I, I saw a press release, you know, a few weeks ago here locally. So congratulations on doing that. That's I, I already tells me you're a smart CEO. Tell us about this ophthalmology difference, about what you feel versus other ventures you were in, but also tell us about what's unique about your molecule. Yeah, no, great. So two, two questions in there, Ian. How ophthalmology is different from some of the other areas that I've been in? It's different and at the same time, the same. You know, ultimately, we all care about patients and how can we help them? And I think that's a unique opportunity that we have here. And that at the same time is the difference. You know, when I was working in oncology, luckily, you know, usually those, those patient populations are smaller than the ones that we're in now. It also means that, you know, even from a day-to-day practice, it's, it's, it's very significant, but a little bit, you know, further out and, and, and much longer to approach or to, to, treat, or, uh, to treat against. You know, one of the things which, which I think is unique to ophthalmology is that you actually get to try products early on. It's, it's you know, the, the way to the clinic to see results is shorter. And that, I think, is a great bridge to what you said around what's, what's unique in our products. You know, when I, when I was approached to you know, look at this company, obviously did my diligence. And very early on, very quickly, I, I realized that it's a u- unique opportunity for a product that has you know, highly successful phase two data that can really benefit from you know, the next step in the company evolution. So it's a product that, as you said, and for, for those listening, our lead asset is positioned to treat presbyopia. It's a, it's a cyclidin-based eye drop. It's the only eye drop that's based on a cyclidin. And like the other meiotics out there, it's on the one hand, focusing on creating a pinhole effect, which you know, increases depth of field. And with that allows people to you know, restore or allows for restoration of near vision. I think what makes it unique is that not only from what the data is showing us, it's potentially the best product out there that can create that pinhole. It does so, and that's crucial, without triggering the ciliary muscle. Uh, so it, it has you know, great potential to trigger the iris sphincter without triggering the ciliary muscle. And it's the ciliary muscle that, that is associated with the side effects. And I'm sure we'll go into, the, in, into that in a little bit more detail. That's what um, creates a myopic shift. Is also that shift that's associated with the headaches and other side effects. So we feel that we have a product that, again, is potentially best in class at creating the pinhole effect without triggering any of the associated side effects. So that's what got me really enthusiastic. Yeah, I mean, it's really, uh, in my opinion, probably one one of the most exciting things to hit uh, ophthalmology you know, and I think there's plenty of business uh, for everybody. I, I, it's interesting. Your MOA is different, which I really actually appreciate as an ophthalmologist, which is just intriguing. So are you starting phase three now? Are you, because after the endpoints, are you, what, what do you, now you have fresh funding. Let's talk about that. And then let's talk about your clinical sort of regulatory pathway. Yeah, the pathway indeed logically will include a phase three study. We've, we've not publicly indicated what the timelines for that are, but clearly, you know, one of the things that I immediately did coming in is, is looking at how can we you know, sharpen our pencil, the execution. 
Uh, and I think we've been very successful at, at bringing timelines in. So I would imagine that over the next couple of quarters, we'll, we'll start to provide more insight in, in what we feel our program will look like. And you hinted at the, uh, or you pointed at the, uh, the Series A funding. One of the things that, that you know, convinced me to come in, aside from the fact that it's a best-in-class drug, is that the syndicate that is around the company is like the top names out of pharma. So with Versant and RA Capital, we've, we've got some really strong VC backing. We've announced the 47 million Series A, which clearly is setting us up for success around the clinic and then moving the products into FDA approval. Very good. That's really good. I mean, you know, audience may or may not know, but, you know, we're talking about a massive multi-billion patient global market with the U.S. estimate to be minimum 120, 130 million individuals that are suffering from presbyopia. Most of these patients, it's interesting, they, you know, they've had excellent uh, vision and just recently they lose their vision, myself included, mostly mesopic, right? You know, and I have a five-year-old night I read and she's always making fun of me because uh, I have to bring my iPhone on the on her little books and <laughs> it's getting worse. And, you know, it's it's actually humbling. And I don't know, like about you on a personal level, but, you know, having treated and reversed the presbyopic, at least from refractive and non-refractive lens implants, I've always been so frustrated and not having my amitropes who's pure presbyopic or even the hyperopamitropes to be able to give them anything. Really, I never got into the corneal inlays. So I'm so excited about this technology just because I feel it. And, you know, you feel mortal. You feel like you feel the father time really <laughs> taking you down, you know, and it's yeah. like, and, and when you're right, I mean, you've been great till now. I'm an athlete. And now I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on? And, and I'm trained. I can't imagine what my patient go through. So, so tell me about your pathway now. You know, you've got the funding. You see what's, I always like to know what's, where are we going? Where are you in five years? Are you a publicly traded company? You know, Obviously, blue sky thinking, right? You don't, not going to hold you to it. But are you doing? Are you going to layer in other disease states, or are you thinking, you know, this is great. Let's just going to merge with somebody uh, who already has commercialization, and we might go do something else. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, and no, I mean, it's a, it's a phenomenal question. How I look at what we have now is a, a perfect foundation to do many more things. Up. So yeah, clearly, my background is is you know, lends itself, and with the team that we're bringing on to treat this as a phenomenal lead asset. And let's not forget what you said indeed that US alone, this is 120, 130 million dollar or um, the people market, which translate into a three, four, five billion dollar market. So that's a significant opportunity. I don't necessarily like the term, you know, holy grail, but that's that's how it's 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 looked at. You know, one of the few major pharma pharmacological markets that, that can still be penetrated. So after four months or so, I, I feel that we've you know, captured that foundation, that we've set our plans well. It's, you know, it will come down to a lot of you know, uh, very close execution, but I'm very confident with, with the team there. So absolutely, we're, we're looking at, okay, with that in place, how do we expand? And it's you know, almost like three different strategies that you can look at in parallel. So we're not going to choose one over the other. You know, what is it that we can do more with the Psychedin? We've, we've got some great ideas around how can we 
either label expand or use it in, in different indications. So that's something that we're definitely doing. We're very pleased that the previous management and the previous you know, brains of the company are continuing to be involved. So there's a lot of knowledge that we're using and can build off of. So that's one, what is it that we can do more with a cycle in? We're definitely also looking at adjacent spaces. You know, what else is out there that makes sense either from a channel strategy or from a knowledge based strategy uh, in talking to people in the industry is a lot of you know uncovered ground still so there's a lot of opportunities there and i think thirdly you know, logically like you said there's a lot of companies out there that may have products that can benefit from scale or synergy or leadership uh, so those are the other things that we're looking at so that's how i see the company five years from now definitely you know broader larger portfolio than we have now whether that means that we go public yes or no i always look at the you know the most efficient way to bring cash in and if that happens to be you know through an ipo we'll definitely look at it but there might be different ways of doing it as well you know, i think it's fascinating when we're talking about this whole notion of the marketplace and when we look at like for example presbyopia versus progressive myopia both of them are pretty landmark you know large markets that really have been untapped. And I, as Biopia, especially because of the fact that there's, you know, there's people who are actively working and this is a big problem. They would like to have a non-surgical solution. What I like about what you've done is your data. I mean, your data in the phase two is pretty remarkable. I'm mean, up to seven hours. You know, that's the first question people ask me. It's like, okay, how long does this stuff last or going to last? And we, we never give it an exact number, but we give a range. And then, you know, I love about what you've done is, you know, you got, you know, 81% of the patients gained at least two lines in 30 minutes, which is remarkable data. And then the taxi, tacky flaxes, you know, that's other things. Like, does this stuff wear off? Does it cause headaches? You know, this it's been that's been the big plague about, you know, the traditional pilocarpine-based products in the past. And so this is, I'm actually personally going to be very interested in seeing your phase three come out. So, so you know, I know you're keeping, it's hard to know, and then you, you probably don't want to publicly say anything. So, I mean, if you were to venture, if you were to say, like, now we're, you know, three years from now we're publicly traded, are you, are, what are some things that interest you? Are you thinking about maybe, are you interested in dry eyes? Are you thinking about myopia? What, are, what, do, you, what do you foresee? I know it's foreshadowing, and I know you're not going to tell me exactly, but um, tell me what you can and are you interested in? Yeah, and, and I think you're you know, spot on too. And it, you know, by all means, ask. Uh, but there's there's a lot of opportunity out there, and and yeah, you you've already in, indicated that we're not going to pin ourselves down to for for several reasons now to say it's A, B, or C. I think the good thing is that there's a lot out there that you know people in general out there are waiting for. So it's a ton of opportunity along the three lines that I've that I've mentioned that you know gets us very enthusiastic. It's also indeed maybe you know piggybacking off of what you said said around around the data that's 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 something that when i started to look into this opportunity and yes i'm like squarely in there multiple readers on my desk hopefully i can start to ditch soon and it's it's one of those things that you know i was like perfect i I never even been to an optimist twist uh and a friend of mine told me just you know you'll you'll get that you'll you'll wake up one morning and you know the phone is just your arms are no longer long enough Uh, and it, it happened to me like it will happen to all of us so that's that's what the market is like when I was doing my diligence and, and looking at that phase two data, realizing that you know, two lines of gain means that you know, the majority of the people 
almost all anatomists study can actually, you know, read the back of a sugar packet again. You know, that's that's the you know, definitely they can all you know they, they will all get back to newspaper print. I think that's that's what we're trying to you know put into perspective what these lines mean. You know, what is two line? What is three line? You have the A's asking for three lines, which is great. You know, it's a, it's a very high bar. And, you know, we've, we've shown that after 30 minutes, which was our first point of, of time that we measured, you know, over 50% of patients gained three lines. And we, we were able to do this in a very well placebo control way. So very clean data showing that out of half of the people gained three lines. We went out to seven hours. Seven hours was our last data point. You know, we'll definitely go longer in our upcoming studies. After seven hours, over half of the people still had two lines of gain. You know, over a quarter of the of the of the people three lines. So that's that's very significant. Without any loss of, of distance vision, I think that's another one that you and others rightfully so are very focused on. And what we're showing, and this plays into the fact that we don't trigger the ciliary muscle, is that there's no loss in distance vision. There's actually a trend towards gain, both in normal light as well as dark conditions. So I think that's very telling because you know that, and that's what we see with the other drugs, that even if you lose you know, one day after, you would say, what's a day after? Well, one day after, and I'm preaching the choir here, is the difference between perfect vision and no longer see well enough to pass the driver's license test. So that's how significant that one day after is. And that's great independent research that we've shared that clearly shows how cyclin is different from pilo and carbocol and, and how indeed that independence between triggering or the mode of action is, is very clear and very well shown. So, so uh, let's pivot on the commercialization. Let's say you're commercializing this product. What Do you worry about this compounding formularies or compounding pharmacies taking substrates and doing similar work, uh, obviously not going through IP? I know that's been some of the challenges, at least in myopia, progressive myopia. This is a big sort of space, but there are some players that are actually, you know, compounding these formulas. And so um, do you feel that presbyopia is a little different because it's hard to manage the loss of um, diopter, diopter and a half of, of acuity for distance and manipulating the ciliary body. It's a harder science to duplicate, or do you think that, that there's enough room for everybody? I think, what, let me start off by, by saying that again, what's different with the cyclin to some of the other components is that we actually have a very large IP portfolio. So this is a new chemical entity for the US. So we have patent protection to for at least you know a, a very significant couple of decades out. Very large portfolio of patents, both in the US as well as XUS. And we're talking into the dozens there. So there's not going to be any compounding, any generalization of, of a cyclidin for the foreseeable future, which is different compared to polycarpine. And even in today's world, you see we have a 0.2, a 0.4, a one and a quarter and a two percent polycarpine that people are developing all in an effort to try to mitigate the you know, unfavorable mode of action that polycarbon has. So I'm not concerned about any, any compounding being done on cyclin. I think in general, for this class of drugs compared to some of the others, you'll probably see a little bit less. I think you know, many of us are aiming to, to get to a unit dose formulation. So this is going to be more in the um, self-pay type space anyway. So I think from a distribution point of view, but different. 
So how does it look? I mean, is it, are the patients, do you feel like, I know it's early, but are the patients going to be seeing the optometrist for this or ophthalmologist, both, maybe primary care? I know cash pay is going to be the, I think, the way to go. I think 100% agreed. But do you feel like potentially Allergan will have, they're saying end of this year, beginning of next year, the first myotic, if you will, to, to hit the U.S. market? And, yeah. you know, they're traditionally been seen as the strongest overall uh, ophthalmic history, at least legacy, when it comes to marketing and everything. So that I think that's only going to serve everybody. But do you feel like the, you know, when you're looking at it, who's the patient seeing? Are they seeing the optometrist or are they seeing ophthalmologist? I think both. And you're, you're right that to me, it's great to have Allegan V out there, you know, creating this this market. I think that that product is, is going to be good enough to create the insight with the marketing and commercial muscle that they that they have. We're, we're all going to hopefully benefit from that. So I'm very pleased you know, to have colleagues like that out there. From a, from a channel perspective, this, even though it's self-pay, you would still need a script and you get the script either from your optometrist or, or your optom- ophthalmologist. So that's the channel that we currently look at. You know, we are obviously, and again, we're not going to go into too much detail there at the, at the moment, but thinking through, and I think we've got a good handle on what strategies are to make sure that those those groups are you know, uh, favorable to, to products like, like this. You know, how can this be used to get more people, again, like, like myself, that would normally not go to a optometrist? How can you make the optometrist benefit from getting people across your doorstep? Uh, so I think there's a, there's a clear win-win, and we've, we've done some, you know, some very good diligence already and have some, some really good groups that are advising us on how to position this. Very good. So, you know, let's pivot on you a little bit as far as your background. You know, I always like to um, talk about the leadership and the, some of the challenges you've gone through. It seems like, you know, you've had a really nice success after success, but I'm sure you've had a lot of heartache on, on the way. Do you mind sharing a little bit about to our young entrepreneurs who are, you know, thinking about venture, thinking about startup, thinking about um, a, a career path that you've taken? What are some pearls you would give them for success? So if you believe in something, go for it. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. It's not rocket science. It's not always going to go well. And there's definitely going to be plenty of moments where life is going to be a little bit rocky, but make sure that you get the right people around you. And one of the things that attracted me in taking this one is that it allows me to actually bring some of my old you know, team members, friends now into into the company. Uh, make it fun. You know, it's it's gonna be it's it's hard work, but get the right people around you. Believe in what you do, and and just you know keep keep having at it. At it. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah, I mean, even even you're absolutely right because the road has has a lot of ups and downs, and it's not always gonna be perfect. But at least you tried, and that's really regret is a lot heavier than than not. So I yeah. think that's really a good thing. I've been very lucky in my career that I've, I've been with big companies all the way up to Pfizer, small companies, or a handful of people now, a little bit more than a handful of people, and everything in, in between. Pick the learnings, good and bad, from, from all of it and, and you know, apply them to what you're doing now. That, that's one of the things, you know, one of the downsides of getting older is that you get presbyopia. One of the upsides of it is that you can, you know, you obviously start to build a little bit of a, a nice backpack of experiences that you can rely on. Mm-hmm, absolutely. You know, as we segue and, you know, we can talk for a long time, but I just want to make sure we covered everything. We try to keep 
things on people's drives to, to work so they can listen to this podcast. And um, are there things that you're excited about um, outside of what you're doing that really think has a future? Do you feel like um, patient share billing, like direct to consumer, um, presbyopia is the way to go? Or do you feel like, no, this is just a traditional brick and mortar, go see your optometrist? You know, with digital, this is a loaded question. Digital health is going to change everything. What we're seeing now is patients are not necessarily having to come in. They can just do it one of these telecalls and tele, and, you know, telemedicine and really diagnostics is just exploding. Be able to like basically, basically diagnose, refract, um, do what we call scatter perimetry without having the patient come back in. I feel like this is just going to be the tip of the iceberg. I feel with presbyopia and digital health, it's just, the, it's a perfect storm and it's just a perfect opportunity. I think it's going to be great. What are your thoughts? No, I, I couldn't agree more. We, we've started to see it happen. Yeah, maybe the first signs, but whatever, like a decade or so ago. And it really started to pick up, I would say, maybe five, four or five years ago. I actually personally got involved with a couple of companies that are really moving into the telehealth environment. Yeah, COVID brought us a lot of bad things, but also a lot of, you know, it, it basically sped up a lot of that. And, and we're all so much more comfortable with, with telehealth, with, with different ways to, you know, interact with, with patients. So patients have different experience or different, um, feel more comfortable going into different routes. So I think um, for all of us, independent of whether it's ophthalmology or all the other fields, there's a need and, and, and everybody that's, you know, attention is probably thinking about what does that mean for me, where I'm a you know, single practice, you know, optometrist or, you know, companies like ourselves or anything in that mix. How do you position yourself well to benefit and ultimately, you know, provide a bigger benefit to your patient? Because that's what it's all about in the end. I love it. So with that said, uh, it's just been absolutely great pleasure for for us to have you today and i look forward to hopefully las vegas with to see you just close yeah if you're there we can uh, try one of your burgers i was very intrigued by that little uh, clip that was on your website (laughs) talking about outside interests (laughs) for sure for sure very good thanks you sean pleasure Thank you for listening, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the OIS podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our iTunes channel so you don't miss any ophthalmology insights. Got a story of your own to tell? Apply to be a guest at OIS.net.